Hello and welcome to Grace Life Duras. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray that this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. Hello again, beloved, and welcome back to another teaching from Grace Life Duras. So this time it's going to be a bit different than what you're used to. We had the wonderful privilege of hosting three speakers for a great event that we held over four days here in Duras, Albania. Two of them invested a lot of knowledge and a lot of heart about how to effectively minister to Muslims um, with love and with care. And we had a wonderful opportunity on this Sunday to have a panel conversation with both Dr. Emil and Pastor Hilke. Dr. Emil is from the UK and Dr. And, uh, Pastor Hilke is from Kosovo. And they have such beautiful hearts in ministering the truth of the gospel to Muslims and seeing other churches and ministries and organizations being well equipped to do the same, but also every individual um, person being able to stand up and say, I can defend my faith. Um, it doesn't mean we are all for arguing about our facts, not at all. It's all about gaining a heart for the lost and a great part of the lost in the world are the Muslims. And so we connected this to our Fearless series and we would like to end our Fearless series with this by including this teaching called Why We Should Be Fearless. Because the reality is, as you listen to this, uh, we need to realize that there are millions and millions of people waiting beyond our fear. They are waiting for us to step up, know what we believe and know why we believe it so that we can reach them with the wonderful, sweet, powerful gospel that Jesus is Lord and he saves. So enjoy this uh, recording. It might be a little bit soft sometimes as it was many speakers at the same time. Enjoy it and receive. We bless you. Bye. I entitled it, oh, there you go. Why we should be fearless. Hallelujah. Good. So we'll start with the important stuff, which is, what is your favorite food? So, in this <laughs> church, <laughs> pasu, really, that dessert? No. no. What is pasu? <laughs> oh, okay. Different. Ah, because they called, ah, okay. Okay. Bean stew. Bean stew. Yeah. Okay, yes. And for you, Dr. Emil? Hummus. Oh, really? Chickpeas, oiled, mashed, mixed with sesame cream and garlic and lemon. Yeah, Andy makes the best. If we knew, we would have made you some. Andy uh, made us some. Next week. Oh, Nazareth would be better, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, oh, wonderful. In our church, we value food. (laughs) just a joke so okay great so um yeah we thought just to start with telling us something about yourself just where you are now maybe some of your family kids stuff anything you wanted to share just a bit more about yourself yeah he's my friend dr emil (laughs) introducing him (laughs) yeah i'm uh hilke pastor hilke from kosovo currently uh I'm pastoring a church in Jilan there, along with my wife and two children, Rubin and Altea. 15 years of age, 13 years of age. 
they're, by the way, growing so fast, becoming teenagers, and the challenge to our family is growing, so. That's cool. Uh, those who have teenagers know more about it. <laughs> they're becoming more independent, and I keep hearing more, most of the times, no, 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 I don't want that, I don't want that. Whereas before it was like, we just grab them, put them in the car, and go wherever I want. No, I don't want to come. I don't want to eat this. I don't want to buy this. I want to wear this. It's kind of like, oh, see the first signs of independence in uh, their life. So it's a human trait, actually, to be independent. But we're teaching them to be dependent on the Lord. Amen. That's and to rely in the Lord. I mean, they can choose to be independent in their lives, for whatever reasons, you know, because God has created us that way, but uh, uh, our main value is to teach them how to uh, believe in the Lord, uh, believe in Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth and the life, and to, um, to follow Him with all their hearts, their mind, and their spirit. So uh, yeah, that's part of a family. My wife Danida, she's from Albania, Tirana. Shemis is coming here most of the times because I keep her so busy there. <laughs> <laughs> But today her mom is going to come and visit us, so we're going oh, to Tirana and uh, yeah, That's bringing her uh, to Kosovo. She's been uh, part of our family, actually. She's been looking for our children for a while, when we're both working and involved so much in ministry, and uh, she was so able to take care of our children. So we love her and we look forward to having her for whatever time she decides to be with us. That is awesome. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's, that's where we are currently. That Anything else you want me to say or share? No, right well, not right now. Not right now. <laughs> okay, okay I was born to Arabic-speaking Christians in Israel. It was called Palestine before. I was born on the Israeli side of time, so I have an Israeli passport. My parents, my father was um, a church planter, evangelist. My mother was a nurse, uh, and she was an evangelist. In fact, she's planted a couple of churches. So I grew up in a Christian environment and then uh, went to the United Kingdom to study medicine. I had a medical career till 2016. I just lost that desire. I was head of my, you know, we had a budget of 700 million pounds in my area and I was the, the chair uh, and I suddenly just lost that. It just went like that. I'm a very ambitious doctor and, uh, and I said, Lord, take me out. You're calling me. When I was 16, we were in a prayer meeting and uh, one of the sisters uh, had a word for me. She said, the Lord is calling you to the ministry and you will be sent to Africa. So anyway, I started doing a PhD uh, research because I thought perhaps the Lord is calling me to become a lecturer in a Bible college. And um, uh, that involved interviewing Muslim background Christians. Mm. And through that, I developed a strong bond with uh, the Nigerian free churches, free evangelical churches, and then with this guy here <laughs> in uh, Albania. And that's been the focus of my ministry, like Hilke, I'm self-supporting. So although I'm retired, I, uh, you know, we, we support uh, ourselves. And uh, Hilke wouldn't like to say this, but I'm, I'm pleading with you to pray for Hilke because we need a full-time minister in Bim. Bim is uh, yeah. Balkans Institute Missions. There's a need for a full-time. This guy needs to go full-time. Yes, I um, same thing. My family, the Lord has given us five kids. 
three are walking faithfully with God. I'm so proud of, of them, and uh, hopefully the other two are on the way. But uh, yeah, so that's what we are now. That is wonderful. Where are your children yeah. now? Where are they living? Uh, in the United Kingdom. All of them, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, three of them, two of them live in London, two in the south, and one not far from London. Okay, wonderful. So um, then, of course, the story everyone wants to know is how did you, um, we know you grew up in a Christian home, but when did it become real to you personally? Yeah, I, in my heart, I always loved Jesus, always. I mm. don't remember a time when I, you know, I didn't have that strong bond. But I grew up in, in my village has the highest uh, percentage of university graduates of any village in the world. That's a UN UN statistics. We have a tradition of knowledge, and, and uh, so most of us have several degrees. It's like we're addicted. <laughs> so, um, so I've always had this problem proving. My friends would say to me, "Prove this." Particularly, one of my cousins. He's now such a big guy in Israel. He's an Arab, but he's reached the top of diabetic. He's a professor of diabetic. You know, he's big in Israel, and he would always say to me, "Prove, prove, prove." And I, I couldn't prove anything. But I was embarrassed. If you believe in something, you should be able to prove it. I used to, you know, stand in church, open the hymn book, but I never sang. I was too embarrassed to be seen singing. Until one day I had a vision, and uh, I was 14, and in the vision I saw myself swimming in the Mediterranean, not far from my home, and all these friends who used to sow doubts in my head were swimming with me. My mother and big sister were on the seashore, and I saw a huge, uh, what do you call it, well, pool for me. It was sucking people in. People just perishing in it. And I saw my friends being sucked in. And it was getting close to me. Uh, my mother couldn't hear me. My sister couldn't. I was screaming for help. And then I turned around and over my shoulder, I looked over my shoulder, there was a rock. Hmm. Reached for the rock and I woke up. And it disturbed me. I was so stupid. I'd heard preaching all my life. I still didn't understand it. Two weeks later, my mum said to me, you, you don't look happy these days. I said to her, this is, I said, my boy, who is the rock? I said, of course, Jesus. <laughs> and a week later, I was in a church service. Can't explain it, but all my fears and doubts just melted away. It's totally irrational. The Holy Spirit came down on me, and I became, I changed from someone who was ashamed of being a Christian, someone who was very proud, public and since then praise God, glory to God I've never stopped that's awesome, thank you so much okay, and Yilki your same story, same question yeah um, I think the initial stir and direct um, invitation from God if I can say so, was when I was 14 I have something in common yeah. <laughs> uh, I had several times you know, the same dream at the time, I was a Muslim and the dream was this, like, you're going to become a prophet. It was like, the next morning, Muhammad is the last prophet, this is a blasphemy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this cannot happen. And then I kept having that, uh, that dream, Muhammad is, uh, like, uh, you're going to be a prophet, and then I said, okay, I mean, I mean, we people have all kinds of dreams, so this is definitely not from God. And I almost completely forgot this dream until I became a Christian. And I understand what does uh, prophet mean, you know, speaking always the word of God. And, but uh, 
that drew me to thinking more. Why did I have this dream? And then I, we had a tragedy in our family. My, uh, my brother passed away. So I kept having more questions. Why, why did, did God allow, I mean, this pain? Why, why did he die? He was 22 years of age. And so I kept having lots of uh, questions, you know, spiritual nature that didn't have answers of. So I was looking, I was searching, and then that drew me more to religion, becoming more Muslim. <laughs> so I would continue to go to, uh, to mosque and become a better Muslim and perform and do everything possible. But that, to my uh, surprise, didn't fulfill all my emptiness inside of me. Uh, so I kept being, the more I was getting into Islam, the more uh, I found myself further from God. Wow. So uh, I couldn't explain at the time what was going on. I, ha I had no relationship with God. Um, I had a, a feeling that I know nothing about God. I know nothing. Uh, I didn't have any personal uh, relationship, as I said already. And I, I didn't feel like I was, uh, I was really going after Him. So the more, as I said, the more Islamic I was becoming, the more I felt the gap with God. And then uh, ran across, you know, with a cousin of mine who became a Christian. And he said, well, I know what, you should accept Jesus Christ. And I was like, sorry, you're not a Muslim. He said, well, I believe in Jesus Christ, perhaps more than you. He said, no, no, no. no. You know, exactly the same topic that I shared, Isa. It's <coughs> one of my favorite topics, Isa in Quran and Isa in a, uh, and Jesus in the Bible, you know. I was trying to uh, convince him that what we believe is the real Isa. And he says, no, not at all, not at all. And, and we start fighting and doing all the things, you know. And, but uh, the more I was thinking of Jesus, the more closer I was becoming to God, even though I hadn't accepted him yet. Mm. It was interesting. So Jesus was, uh, was making a difference in me. Sure. And uh, I, I was sensing that, but I was afraid. I was really afraid that I may, I may go astray and I may, uh, I may end up in hell. And then ultimately I had this vision, you know, this divine encounter with God, which really <coughs> confirmed me that Jesus is the right way and I should follow him always. And then everything came to, um, uh, I can say, huh? Ahead. Yeah, I mean, it was like very clear for me. And my emptiness was uh, was failed. Like I felt like I was a completely different creature, different person, and uh, so joyful, so you know, blessed, and a bit of afraid that I'm gonna lose family and mm. <laughs> all the community, you know. But uh, Jesus uh, confirmed. He said, uh, "If you have me, you have everything. So no worries." And then, uh, yeah, my dad uh, kicked me out of the house. He didn't want me to become his son and uh, inherit anything he, he had. You know. How old were you then? Uh, sorry? How old were you? I was 20. 20. I was 20. And then for the next five years, he didn't talk to me at all. And it was all fine because I knew uh, the verse that says, you know, if you deny me before uh, your father, your mother, you're not able to be my disciple, you know. So I'll deny you before my father in heaven. So I said, the most important thing is not to deny, to deny Jesus. Mm. And then eventually I gave my father back. I didn't deny Jesus. So after five years or so, his heart uh, came yeah, came softer oh, and started talking to me. And uh, now he even moved and lives with us, lives with us now. Sure. Me and Danita as Christians, you know, so uh, it's completely different. But, uh, you know, it was very important to not, uh, not deny Jesus Christ and trust in him. Though the circumstances seem to be very... Very odd, you know. I had nothing, you know, I lost support, I lost my family, community, relatives, everything, you know. 
But I had Jesus, the most mm -hmm. precious, the most important thing. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and still, nowadays, He has blessed us always, I mean, beyond imagination. And but yeah. does your father believe in Jesus? Not yet. Okay. He's closer. I'm praying for uh, the same thing that I had, for a kind of divine encounter with Him. Mm -hmm. uh, prayer, I mean, uh, like dreams, visions, healing. Yeah, I think he's as stubborn as I am. Or I am as, how's as stubborn as he is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, part of my testimony. That's awesome. So it sounds like an obvious question, but I think it's good for us all to know, like, why do you do what you do? Like, Dr. Emil, you could retire and have a good life and just live in the UK. You could uh, just be with your family as a doctor. Like, why, I think it's good for us to you know, like, why do you keep on doing this? Why do you think it's important? I think you have to have a calling. I mean, we're all witnesses, but there are, you know, uh, posts or, or offices in the church which are defined there are evangelists and, I, and I, I just felt a strong calling when I soon after my conversion I joined OM in Israel uh, obviously only during my holidays and we would go into the villages of Galilee where my father used to uh, go and I remember being challenged by one Catholic Roman Catholic man a very angry man and he said to me we're all Christians here what on earth are you doing here? Get out. He said, go and uh, evangelize Muslims. And he stuck an old piece of paper in my hand. I still have it. With six questions. He said, go answer these questions to these Muslims. That's always been in the back of my mind. Wow. And, you know, when I lost that desire to, um, you know, be a, a leading GP, uh, I, I dug that paper again. And I started writing books, answering these questions. Yes. So today I've written 16 books, and uh, there's at least another 16 in me. <laughs> uh, so, um, well, look, the Great Commission is a command. It, Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commandment. Mm -hmm. If you love Jesus, he has ordered all of us to go and make disciples of all nations. So how can we not do what we're doing? Um, and um, my, my, I have the example of my parents. My father was a police inspector under the British <coughs> mandate. Very powerful, you know, had a, a social position, status, lots of money, seven cars, and he gave it all up to serve Jesus as a brethren, no income, no salary. <coughs> and as a police inspector, he had a big pension which the state of Israel should have maintained, but they never maintained, so every year our income went down and down. My mother was a nurse, she gave it up to serve the Lord, and then I moved to London to live with a vicar and his wife, um, and the book was written by one of his students. Wow. Um, and again, you know, seven kids, uh, he's a linguist, very intelligent man, musician, she's a nurse, they got a medal of money, but they chose to serve God, they lived a very simple life. Yeah. So I had these examples in my life, it was difficult not to do, you know, uh, it's easy for me to do what I'm doing, mm. not, not like this guy. Mm. I had to give up so little, it was just a natural thing. That is amazing. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Same question? Yes. Good. Um, we, um, me and my wife, left our jobs in Pristina when we moved, like 20, uh, 2012, to the eastern part of Kosovo, 
And at that time, I wasn't working as a dentist. I, I quitted everything. I said, in your disposal, Lord. And uh, she had a very good job. You know, was paid probably two or three times as average salary would be. And it, it was a type of faith for us to move, to get into mission. Until that time, I was an elder in the church. It was different, you know, working and being an elder. Didn't have uh, the full responsibility, you know, of a church, of, uh, of being in a mission. And then one time, if, uh, a brother of mine, a missionary, says, well, Hilke, you've been praying about church plans and you've been talking with other people to move, you know, to the eastern part of Kosovo, but have you ever thought about yourself? I was like, no. I've <laughs> been praying about other people, you know, but not about myself. He said, instead of directing your finger this way, he says, why don't you do it this way? <laughs> <laughs> and then I went to uh, talk to my wife. I said, well, I think I had an important discussion with Jeff. Jeff is his name. And uh, she was like, no, 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 I'm working on this. <laughs> Small children, two years of age, four years of age. Who would think at the time, you know, just moving into an era that basically had nothing come and eat at the place. And it was very small. Um, most of the people were leaving, going off for, for better jobs in Pristina or leaving for international places, western parts. And so for us to go there it required, you know, to lose, I mean, good jobs, money, and then uh, also uh, the social life, you know, and also the place for to grow children. I mean, the place didn't have even a playground for children. Sure. And so it was, was a kind of sacrifice, you know. But we prayed, we took our time for a year, and then finally both of us were confirmed, me and Danida, said, yes, step of faith, we want to move. That was the best thing in our lives, really. We had no idea what we were going to do there. We had no idea who's going to support us, to get money at all. We just said, yes, Lord. And then when we moved there, we saw the blessing of the Lord. You know, like, um, uh, I felt like, open up your clinic and do your work here. I said, okay. I thought I'm going to leave my clinic, I'm not going to work as a dentist, but then God said, start doing your work. And then I opened up the clinic and then people started coming to me. <laughs> Instead of going out and preaching to them, they were coming to me now. Awesome. And I had the first person you know, who believed in Jesus, the nurse, who was working with me. She said, like, you're different, you're not lying, you're not stealing, what's going on with you? <laughs> so while we're Christians, you know, and he says, can I come to your place? I know you're meeting there, you know, there's a place where you'll meet. I said, yes, please, please do come. First time she comes, she says, I want to accept Christ. Yes. I was like, are you sure? For a week, I was saying, are you sure? Because it's a more rural place. I knew she's going to have persecution. Her parents are not going to be happy. I said, you better count the cost, you know, before you take the decision. Amen. And so after a week against us, I want to believe, and she believed. Then I had my first patients, you know, coming. I mean, they were on social welfare, didn't have money. And I said, come, come, I'll, I'll offer you, you know, uh, services. We have no money. I said, please do come. I didn't ask you about money. Come. So I did all free of charge. And I said, can we come to your place where you meet there? I said, yes, please do come. And I said, we had never had a dentist, you know, ever charging us money. Said, sure. They're part of a church, so people were coming, and um, it was interesting how God was using the clinic. Though yes. I, I said I'm going to quit with it, and uh, yeah, I was bridging the gap with the community. You know, uh, I'm, I'm saying this just to realize that uh, we have to be in full disposal of the Lord, wherever. That's good. Whatever are the ways He wants us to use, we should be available to Him first of all. Either He wants to use our profession, our talents, quit everything we have and start all anew. It's just we have to rely on the Lord and have His guided, His guidance and leading, you know, take us over and then everything will come into place. 
So because of time, I'm going to... Skip some questions? Yes. <laughs> can be shorter, you know? No, you guys are doing great. This is amazing. So I would say, let's do one question from me and then you guys, if you have some, then we'll have time for some question from you guys, if you have. But what is your, in all this time, like as a small church uh, growing and we believe we're going to grow and we're, we're learning how to do that. What, I think it would be really awesome for us to hear what was your favorite or most unexpected conversion story like or or story where you thought something would go somewhere and you just saw God moving in a way that you were like I didn't expect that or just in your own heart like this is the thing that I will never forget or someone I will never forget that I met and and saw them coming to Christ because I think one of the good things just to interrupt my own question <laughs> is uh, one of the things that was so inspiring is as we heard these stories it does raise your faith that Muslims are coming to Christ you know and that we shouldn't give up maybe no one was there this time we just adjust we adjust and then we're gonna see more we adjust and we will see more and so I've already got new ideas, be careful. Yeah. Um, but I've already got some new ideas, but just your favorite stories. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I trust fully the Lord. Many Muslims will come to the Lord in Albania, in Kosovo, and churches will be full Amen. in His time. Uh, as, as I was sharing, you know, like I came to Christ alone without even knowing where the churches are. And then I looked for the churches. And I believe there are many cases like, like, like mine, Amen. you know, among the Muslim communities. My favorite story is this, uh, of conversion. I had a guy who, uh, who was doing recycling. And I was going out in the city one day and praying, you know, and then I see two guys, you know, collecting this plastic, uh, how do you call them, this plastics, you know, I mean, yeah, recycling and stuff. And so we approach them and tell them, how are you guys doing? And they say, oh, well, fine, do you want to have a coffee with us? They were looking at us, they were all, you know, <laughs> dressed. And me and a friend of mine were, were well-dressed, you know, so they're saying, who are these people and asking us for coffee? I said, yes, I mean, when you're done, please come and have coffee with us. And then uh, I went for a coffee and said, you know, nobody asked me ever for a coffee. And I was young at that, um, I was recently moved there. I didn't even know, he was a stealer. <laughs> Everybody in the community knew him, he was a thief. A thief. He was stealing things and like everybody was away from him and we were approaching him, come and have coffee with us. And I saw a police officer coming around and looking at me. <laughs> I had no idea who am I having coffee with. And then this guy says at the end, would you guys want, we shared the gospel with them. And he said, uh, he didn't say yes at first. He said, would you guys come, uh, want to come to my, to my home? So of course, so God is asking me to go to their home now and preach the gospel. So we go to their house and his, and his dad says, you're my first guest coming here. Nobody comes in our house. Because they were kind of like labeled in their village. Yes. Nobody knew about his past and nobody was even visiting. So better for us who didn't know anything about the background. Because yes. have they been more cautious and reluctant? You yes. know, but this way I had no knowledge and I, I went there and they're so open. And we, we, uh, uh, we talked who we were and uh, this is a church place. And, they would come to our church services for two years without accepting Christ, just being part of there. And after two years, they accepted Christ. But now the issue with this son, why is this important? After a year, I see he was, he left the town. I asked his dad, I said, where is, Veli is his name. 
He says, well, he's in prison because of lots of things he did, you know. I said, good, can we go and visit him there? So we took lots of brochures and leaflets and went to the, to the prison and visited him. And then I had a chance of sharing with 100 other people there, you know, just giving the leaflets. <laughs> and, and he couldn't believe. And after he came back, you know, he also accepted Christ. Awesome, that is awesome. And uh, so it's the whole family that believes in Jesus, you know. And, um, yeah, from a thief, from a thief to... <laughs> no, he's not stealing anymore, of course. He's <laughs> changed, you know. <laughs> he finished everything, all the sentences he had. He said, I, ha I wanted to go and finish and be, you know, like repay everything I did, you know. And he started a new life. He's married. Aww. And, uh, yeah, part of a church there in Kamenica. And the whole family is... He's come to the Lord because of us reaching that guy, you know, recycle people, you know, and yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Dr. I'm Emil. scanning my head. I've uh, <laughs> read so many conversion stories, but people I have been involved in, when I was in my early 30s, we started an Arabic church in Cardiff, the capital of Wales, a small part of the United Kingdom, uh, with an Iraqi uh, Christian and ex occurred, and we had um, a young lad, an immigrant, who used to come irregularly. We're never sure what, what his motives were. Uh, very quiet, and then uh, it transpired he was struggling to get status in the UK. And what happens is, if you're, um, if you apply for asylum, your case really depends on the interpreter because you you speak your language. The Home Office employs interpreters, some of them are dreadful, they're not very skilled. And if they don't get your story straight, you could lose. Oh. So we um, offered to sit with him and do his story in good English. So we applied and uh, praise God he got it. And that was just a turning point. He could not understand why we would do that for him. And um, yeah, and he gave his life to Jesus. Regular now the church by the way we started with maybe uh, twenty members they have hundreds now. Wow, that's uh, amazing! In Amen. So praise yeah. God. So that is yeah, uh, can can I just add one yes. note? Um, uh, as a doctor, I used to examine victims of torture when they applied for you know status. And I was examining this Palestinian boy from Kuwait, and his mother he couldn't speak. He was just uh, so flat. His mother was telling me his story. They'd been in Kuwait. He was raped by Muslim men. He's a Muslim, raped by Muslim men because he's not Kuwaiti, he's Palestinian. And he was maybe 13. Then after the war, they, um, then they went to live in uh, <coughs> Iraq. He was raped again. Went back to Kuwait. He, he was raped again, all because he's a Palestinian, even though he's a Muslim, raped by Muslim men. And I'm listening, looking at his face, looking at her mother's tears, and my heart was breaking. Mm. And she turned to me and she said, uh, Doctor, but you are better than us. I said, what do you mean? Who, who is you? I said, you, you, you are better than us. She said, you Christians are better than us. I said, well, how do you know I'm a Christian? And said, I can tell. Wow. I can mm. tell you're a Christian, kindness and so on. Uh, and I said to her, actually, no, you're wrong. I said, he who is in us mm. is, is better than he who is in you. Yes, so I offer you Jesus. The <coughs> you want your son is Jesus. He is the full expression of the love of God. I got away with it 
because you know I could have been sued and lost my job because yeah. I'm abusing my position as a doctor to spread the gospel. But yeah, so don't fear. Jesus will shine through you even before you say anything. And uh, just be prepared when they ask to give a reason for yeah. the hope that is in you. Yeah. Yeah. Just one more thing. Both of us shared uh, examples of uh, compassion and care towards Muslims and how did these people come to Christ. So sometimes no matter how well you are equipped, if you don't have a spirit of love and mm -hmm. compassion towards them, it won't work. Yes. Mm -hmm. So it's very important, you know, that uh, you're being equipped and being able to address all the questions, you know, at the same time, never lose sight of the love of Christ yes. you know, and reflect His love to other people. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.co. And if you're ever in the Duras area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website, www.gracelife.co.